welcome back. This is Daily Buddhism Audio Show number 59. My name is Brian Shell, and I'm your host for the show. You can find the text as well as all links mentioned in this program and all past episodes on the website at www.dailybuddhism.com. Only one announcement this time. The all-new monthly Buddhism PDF magazine for the month of June will go on sale tomorrow, and future issues will be available regularly on the first Sunday of each month. The June issue has just under 50 pages of great material suitable for reading on screen or printing. The cost is $5 and can be purchased at www.monthlybuddhism.com. And now, let's get on with this week's show. And we start out this show with a question. A reader wrote in and said, I've recently been trying to understand the concept of being present. I think I'm finding slight difficulty in grasping and certainly don't feel that it is always beneficial. However, on occasions I begin to think that it is a very profound and helpful idea. Is there a danger of us losing sight of the future or not remembering and learning from the past if we stay present? Certainly the feeling of being present is great, but is it actually beneficial in terms of day-to-day activities? It just seems that being in a strong state of presence can be harmful to one's goals or purpose. Wasn't it Suyen Shaku, the first Zen teacher to come to America, who said, Do not regret the past, look to the future? This seems to contradict the idea of being present. Anything you have to say is much appreciated as usual. Okay, and my answer is that this seems very confusing to many people. You often hear the phrase, be here now, and that's usually a reminder to keep your mind on the present moment and focus on the now, as opposed to worrying about the past or the future. We often move through our days more or less on autopilot, doing routine things without paying much attention to them. Do you remember putting your socks on this morning? Do you remember the first sip of coffee, tea, or whatever you had this morning? Well, how about the physical sensations of putting your key in the ignition and starting your car? Some of us do those things day in, day out, and give absolutely 0% conscious thought to those things. So where is our mind when we do these routine, no-brainer activities? Usually wandering around in the future, working out what we'll be having for breakfast tomorrow, or about that conversation with the boss later this afternoon, or perhaps reliving the past, thinking about what you should have said to that jerk in the subway yesterday. Or maybe you're just off in a complete fantasy, thinking about last night's episode of Lost. The problem is that you aren't paying any attention to the now. It's perfectly okay to make plans and have hopes and expectations for the future. The future is going to become the present eventually, and we all like to be prepared for that when it happens. The trick is not to get attached to those hopes and plans, and not to move through the present while on autopilot. You have no control over the past at all, and only a little control over the future. On the other hand, your present is entirely yours. Right now, you're probably sitting in a chair reading your computer screen, or a printout with these words on it. 
Many of you are probably listening to my voice on an MP3 player while you're doing something else in the background. Are you paying any attention to the background noise in the room you're sitting in? Can you hear birds? Or cars? Or music? Or children playing in the background? Are there any smells in the room? Is your chair perfectly comfortable? Or does a part of it painfully poke you somewhere? Were you aware or mindful of these things before I mentioned them? Being in the present means really experiencing the present, as much of it as we can at any time. When we are meditating, it's common to get yourself to the point where you feel your attachments to everything around you. You've heard that probably described as one with everything. Well, that's great if you can do it in a silent, meditative posture. But can you do it right now, without stopping what you're doing? This idea of being in the present is one reason Zen monks, and others, work so hard. It's just as valuable for them to be outside working in a garden or washing dishes as it is to sit in a Zazen meditation. Experiencing life in the present is a big step towards realizing your oneness with everything around you. It's easy to do when you give it active thought, but it's so easy to get lost in day-to-day -day life that it becomes a real challenge to stick with it. So there's your goal for next week. Try not to fly through life on autopilot. Then it was time for a koan. This week's koan is called Joshu's Zen. Joshu began the study of Zen when he was 60 years old and continued until he was 80 when he realized Zen. He taught from the age of 80 until he was 120. A student once asked him, If I haven't anything in my mind, what shall I do? Joshu replied, Throw it out. But if I haven't anything, how can I throw it out? continued the questioner. Well, said Joshu, then carry it out. And then it was time for another question. Someone wrote in and said, Hello, I'm a student and grew up in an extremely Catholic home and have found that I do not agree with the Catholic way of life, but more of the Buddhist ideology of karma. I was wondering if you can give me any guidance as to be more of a Buddhist and a better one. What do I need to do? Thank you for your time. Okay, and I've given some answers to similar questions to this in the past, but it keeps coming up, so let's look at it a little bit differently. Some people look at Buddhism as a religion. Others see it as a philosophy. But most, however, will agree that it's first and foremost a practice. It's something that you do. It's a way of life. Now, I'll recommend three things that I think are essential to calling yourself a Buddhist. I will point out that Buddhist and Catholic and things like that are just labels and concepts and should not be taken too seriously. There are people who live their entire lives following the five precepts who have never heard the word precept or even Buddhism. Okay, here's my three things. First, follow the five precepts. And I think this is the big one. 
There's a link in the show notes to read more on the details. But essentially, they tell us to don't kill, don't steal, don't lie, don't have inappropriate sex, and don't get intoxicated. Now, these are the general rules that the vast majority of Buddhists try very hard to follow. There's always some debate on the interpretation of some of the meanings. For example, is caffeine an intoxicant, and what is inappropriate sex? But overall, the rules are generally accepted. Okay, the second thing. Learn more and continue studying. I believe that more than any other belief system, Buddhism appeals to thinkers. Buddhists concentrate on ideas and situations and try to use logical thought to come to conclusions. Unlike Christianity, which has only one must-read book, there is no single set of documents that claim perfect truth in Buddhism. It's a good idea to read from a wide variety of authors and thinkers, both inside and outside the world of Buddhism, and apply those ideas to what you already know. There's a definite sense of continuing education within Buddhism. It's very easy to learn the basics, but there's so much more to learn once you get comfortable with the foundations. And third, meditate. In our busy society, this one doesn't get enough emphasis. The Buddha was not born enlightened. He got there through meditation, and so can you. Set aside a certain amount of time a few days a week and just sit quietly, trying your best to empty your mind. Once you get comfortable doing this and get into the habit of doing it, learn more about meditation and try various techniques to see what works best for you. And then it's practice, practice, practice. So those are my choices. The second and the third ones aren't strictly necessary, but I believe them to be very important. You'll notice I did not mention any rituals. Some might consider them necessary. I'm not one of them. Others will probably add their own ideas at the bottom of this article, so read on. And they did. There are several comments on the website. Also in the show notes, I have links to my articles on the five precepts, my audio show or podcast on the foundations of Buddhism, and also a link to the special guided meditation audio show. So check out the show notes for lots of good stuff on this post. And finally, we wrap up the week with another question. Someone wrote in and said, I was listening to one of the many comments that you were reading on your podcast regarding attachment to enlightenment, and I had a delightful series of thoughts that I felt compelled to share with the Daily Buddhism Sangha. I was listening to your commentary on the issue and realized that it may not be a question of determining the meaning of desire and attachment, as is so often discussed. At the present moment, I consider this dilemma of attachment to enlightenment to be a paradox. The less attached you become to enlightenment, and other things of course, the closer you get to it. I have in my mind a picture of a person who has attained enlightenment, who, when asked about it, simply laughs and talks about the mosquito on his arm, and how much of a good mother she is. It always delights me when I find paradox in this world, because it inevitably breeds more paradox. For example, once I had the thought to share this insight on enlightenment, my desire to share it with you actually pushed me farther away from enlightenment. 
because I had been spending so much energy grasping this thought until I could write it down to share it. Even the desire to share this thought in this current moment is in itself a paradox that brings me farther from the message I'm trying to convey, because it's simply a thought that if I were being truly mindful, I would notice and then move on. I'm sure by now I have you and your listeners head spinning with this idea, and usually when I find myself crawling deeper into this particular rabbit hole, which is so tempting to do, I like to smile and say to myself, ah, paradox, and move on with the rest of my day. Of course, what I actually did was proofread this message to make sure it's clear enough. Yet another paradox. And now I've seen the Buddha on the road, so I must kill him. Your comments are always appreciated, and thank you for the wisdom that you've shared with me through the podcast and your emails. Okay, and my response to that one. Yes, those mosquito stings do hurt. (laughs) Oh, you want more? Okay, well, it's not unusual for me to get a message that I shouldn't have explained the topic about such and such, as some things are beyond words. Some topics cannot be explained in words. And I do realize this, but I have the teacher mentality, coupled with the responsibility of informing my readers, so I feel a need to put some of the complex ideas of Buddhism into words. Sometimes it works out pretty well. Sometimes it doesn't. But in many cases, I just can't leave the topic unmentioned or the question unanswered. I probably should leave some topics alone, but if I don't bring them up, then they might not be considered at all. So I guess that's the same thing as you describe. I often explain terminology and ideas here simply because that's my job. Yet by doing these things, I run the risk of getting bogged down in labels and terminology. A good example of this was the Am I Buddhist Enough post a few months back. I tried to explain what a Buddhist is and does, but there were several reader comments that correctly pointed out that Buddhist is just a label and doesn't really matter anyway. Yet, we all do seem to have a need to define and understand what it means to be one. It's definitely another contradiction or paradox. I suspect that paradox is much more common in our lives than we tend to believe. We all know things that should be done one way, and yet we do them in just the opposite way. Why is this? And that's all I have for you this week. If you have a question on any Buddhism-related topic, send in your questions by email to dailybuddhism at replaymedia.com or phone them in at 937-660-4949 or post them in the the comment section of any individual blog post. If you found any part of this podcast especially interesting, be sure to check out the comment section beneath the blog post for that article. There are often many excellent comments by readers there that add significantly to what I said. And of course, the Daily Buddhism runs primarily from your donations, and it's easy to help out. Just go to www.dailybuddhism.com donate, and click on any of the options there. You can donate as little as a dollar or as much as you want. If you do choose the recurring $5 a month donation level, you'll get a free subscription to the monthly Buddhism PDF magazine. But of course, anything that you send is appreciated and helpful. Keep in mind that the Daily Buddhism daily email letter is completely free. All you need to do is go to the site and sign up. So, I will see you next week.